Hi, welcome back to the After Dark Live. Let me just add Dibya. Jenny Lung. She is literally amazing. I wish, like we, as you can probably tell from the time, this episode is longer and we could have probably spoken for like 10 more hours. So she was, she was just like a book of knowledge. Yeah, she really was. Um, I guess to start off with, you actually kind of mentioned that we, we that the episode is so long. I think it's our longest episode yet. And I think longest episode in the series. Um, but for good reason, you know, we learned a lot from her and she shared some really, uh, really insightful experiences and knowledge. Um, but we could have spoken about more. One of the things which I think me and you kind of, uh, we had to steer clear from because of the lack of time and also because of the other questions we wanted to ask was why sex education is so important for boys and for men. Um, so, yeah, I think we were discussing this after the episode released and we still think that it is an important discussion to have with boys and men and that, you know, um, hopefully if any, if any uh, person, you know, a, a man does tune into the episode, hopefully they will learn a lot. And these are things like how periods work, um, you know, like everything about the female body is something which a man should know. And they missed out on that sex ed in high school, which we had to go through. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully men do take away something from the podcast or from that episode. Um, but yeah, did you have anything to add on that? With Yeah, I, I guess it's also, um, we also kind of recognized post-episode that a lot of the questions were, of course, about um, female anatomy and things like that and the female re reproductive system. So while we're aware of that, and I mean, if again, if we had more time, we would have like really delved in talked about everything um so yeah like we just acknowledge that like yep some of the questions aren't really about male reproductive systems and things like that but it i think can be very informative for males to tune in and pay attention to you know if i mean heterosexuals also assuming yeah. heterosexual males who you know and i mean just you know it's good to know it's good to know about how our bodies work how different bodies work i would love to know more about male anatomy as well so yeah yeah for sure i think another thing which me and you also spoke about was the fact that um obviously we both come with the experience of being a young brown woman in australia right so we when we think of like questions to ask and just naturally our interest um often goes towards things which which directly relate to us. And these sorts of thoughts are sort of afterthoughts or things which we would have asked if, if we had more time. Um, but also we don't want to speak on top of, of brown men because brown men go through their own experiences and they have their own struggles and, uh, you know, um, yeah, life experiences. So we, we actually do encourage you know if, if there are any listeners who um have different experiences to us you don't have to be a man any anyone who has a different experience to us it'll actually be great to hear from you um and not only in our messages but also in the comments um in, in on our posts or um you know anything any any sort of if you want to share and like voice your opinion on a story or something um then those sorts of you know 
your voice is your own. Uh, you can only speak to your own experience. So we would love to hear diverse experiences through um, other platforms and um, yeah, through Instagram as well. So that'd be, that'd be amazing. And yeah, we don't, we don't really want to speak over anyone. Yeah, definitely. Like if you have kind of lived experience with a certain thing, like please definitely share that because I think it can be really informative and we would love to learn more um, as well as our listeners and things like that. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also we were saying that there are a lot of, um, I guess, uh, I don't know what to call them, but like a lot of niches which we're not currently catering to. So one of them is, of course, the male experience. Another is the gender diverse experience, someone who doesn't conform to the gender binary. Um, then there's also, you know, we're, uh, we've only really spoken about the heteronormative experience. So anyone who's, who has a different sexuality. Um, and obviously we also speak from the brown South Asian perspective. But anyone who's not from that uh subset as well will obviously have differing opinions and experiences when it comes to dating sex ed and the other topics which we'll talk about so um yeah so definitely there are a lot of things which we're not covering but that's only because we don't have that lived experience so yeah we're, we're seeking insight and knowledge uh from people who do have those experiences um but yeah so going back to episode three how did you find speaking to the doctor because we spoke about how like how taboo sex was and how even the word sex was a bit weird to say out loud. So how did you find going from like not saying it to then interviewing a doctor? It was really um, interesting and it was fun. Um, I think Jenny has like this very like comforting presence about her that like makes you feel like you can just ask away. So that yeah. was like, reassuring. And I, I think maybe listeners kind of get that sense because she just... Yeah transparent about everything but yeah so I felt really comfortable to talk to her and ask her about you know questions about sexual ed and things like that because she was just like very non-judgmental with the way that she provided answers and things yeah. um, but I know though that isn't necessarily the experience that some people have when they go to some doctors like I know that I'm not necessarily that comfortable to go to my GP and talk about like sex and things like that because they're my family GP and I don't know whether other kind of Desi community kids can kind of relate to that but when your family doctor is like you know the one that your mom sees everyone sees and you've known them since you were little it's like really kind of uncomfortable to be like hey so the yeah. pill <laughs> um you know yeah. and like feel like judged and concerned and things like that about it so yeah I I in a way it was like really reassuring and comforting to be able to like speak to someone that like I was like she has no idea who my family is um yeah but what how do you find how do you find talking to her about sex education and things like that yeah I think you've sort of said that she she was such an amazing person to have um I think she was she, like she was great she was incredibly knowledgeable but also she was kind and sensitive and patient and understanding so that obviously I think helped us a lot I think what also helped us is we were interviewing her for this podcast and we were asking her general questions right I I feel like the situation would have been different if we had gone to a doctor and would be like I'm having this particular issue can you help yeah. me out like I'm a lot more uncomfortable in the second situation than I am in, in the in we're speaking with uh, Dr. Lung um but even even then, though, I did find it a little bit like not intimidating, but I guess it was just a bit awkward speaking to someone who was like much older than us about topics like this. Um, 
but yeah, I think the, the way we had the questions helped and also just the fact that she was so patient and understanding. And I think from a lot of her answers, it's, it, she's, she showed that she was patient and also she was culturally sensitive. A lot of her answers, she is like, if virginity is important to you. So she acknowledged that it, you know, it doesn't have to be important to you, but in a lot of cultures, it is important. So if it's important to you, then this is what you could do. Um, so I really did appreciate how uh, kind and gentle and patient she was. And that made the whole experience a lot smoother, I think. Yeah. And I felt like that, like the knowledge dispense, like I know earlier we spoke about kind of like the brown community and things like that. Um, but this is knowledge that I think is valuable to everyone, you know? It's it's good to know how your body works. Um, it's good to know how maybe your partner's body works as well. Um, because I don't know whether we want to segue into it yet, but we did a little quiz on our um, story. And it was interesting. It was some interesting <laughs> findings. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe some of the questions were worded in ways that could be like, misinterpreted but i tried i tried we tried our best um but yeah did you want to get into that now or do you have any other final thoughts about the no no i think that's great i think um also before we talk about the questions themselves i think also maybe we should say it's okay not to know things right like me and you didn't know a lot of things before we interviewed dr lung and even now there are a lot of things which which we probably don't know um uh and so yeah it's it's okay not to know things but I think you like all of us should seek out that knowledge and there shouldn't be any shame in seeking out sex education or uh, knowledge about, about these things because it's important to us. It's important for our future. Um, also, I sort of, I sort of thought, sorry, I might also just quickly segue into something else. Um, so yesterday was the international day of a girl child, um, which is fantastic. Love that we have that day. Um, but that sort of got me thinking about, coming from a parent's perspective, a lot of parents don't want their kids and especially they don't want their young girls to know about sex. They feel like it's shameful. I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, but I feel like a lot of parents do feel like it's, it's a bit of a, you want to keep your child innocent. You don't want to like, they feel like knowledge is like going to make them do things, which really, you know, I mean, knowledge is power. And I think then you can make the real like, realistic logical decisions when you have the information versus mm. not but i don't know i don't really know why they think that giving this information means that your kid is going to go out and do it rather they might actually be able to make more of an informed decision when they when they do these things but yeah mm. that is sometimes a fear of of some parents that their kid will oh my god if we talk about the birds and the bees they're gonna go freaking find their bee i actually <laughs> don't really understand how that analogy works like it's so i'm so like what is that anyway yeah neither do i if anyone knows where the bees and birds analogy comes from please please tell us <laughs> like i just have heard that in media yeah. but yeah anyway. yeah um but yeah yeah i sort of agree i think sometimes people think that knowledge corrupts kids which i also don't understand because i'm like yeah knowledge is power um they don't have to use they don't have to act on that knowledge now but it will arm them for whenever they need it and that got me thinking more about young girls um, and of course young boys as well. Um, it's sad, but the way the International Day of the Girl Child came about and also more generally the society we live in is actually not that friendly to, to young girls and young women. Um, so even if you do think that you're protecting your child by not giving them that knowledge, that's not always the case. Your child may find themselves in, in a vulnerable situation. And if, you, if they don't know what's happening to them, if they don't have the knowledge, 
then you know they'll let things happen to them which which they shouldn't um so yeah knowledge really is is safety and it's power and they should know these things so yeah if any parents are listening we we encourage you to have these open com- conversations with your kids and sort of let them ask you questions and let them voice their concerns with you um but yeah going to our insta quiz <laughs> which had some interesting answers um i i think there were i guess a few that stood out with like there were some that like unanimously everyone kind of thought this one answer like for the most part then mm. there were some that um people were like what i don't know okay yeah. i there's two that stick out to me but uh the first one i guess is how many holes does a woman have <laughs> down there um i think people might have misinterpreted what we meant by down there because i understand that some people think that it might mean just the front area um and not the back but i guess the question meant all inclusive of of the poo <laughs> of the poo <laughs> yeah. of, of the bum hole of the front hole of everything so the answer is 3 um if if people didn't know um yeah i don't know do you have any thoughts on that divya Yeah, so just to actually save a little thing so we could uh say, you know, how how many people answered. Um so yeah, the question was how many holes does a woman have down there? Um thankfully most people got it right. So 78 people said it was 3, 51 people said it was 2, uh 3 people said it was 1 and 2 people said it was 4, 4 holes. So not too sure how the last two work. I am very very unsure of the last two, but the confusion between 2 and 3, yeah, I kind of understand. I think I think part of it is about what you said then V about people getting confused between whether it's just the front bit or whether it includes the anus. Um but it did sort of I just think it would be worth saying that you know there are three holes and as uh, Dr. Lung sort of said in the episode there's three. One is the urethra or one is like the opening like that's where you pee out of. Then there's the vagina and then there's the anus. So there's three yeah. holes down there and all three have different functions. And then I had another no no but then this is another thing because I was like maybe the kids are just smart right that because in the interview that uh, Jenny said she did say like the vagina is not a hole it's not a hole it, you won't find a hole down there you'll find an opening or you'll find a it's like a passage like it's not a hole so I was like maybe people are like well it's not a hole then it's an opening or something like that I don't know I I'm, I'm really trying to like grasp for why the two might have been an answer but yeah i mean so in terms of like openings i guess holes can be like a confusing word i guess but like in terms of openings there's there's three three things mm-hmm. that things can come out of for a woman down or going to oh go oh no oh girl what you doing i mean not all of them i'm just saying that <laughs> Um but yeah so we had one que- the first question was on um whether the pill affects or whether yeah whether the contraceptive pill affects future fertility um i think our instagram quiz was actually not that bad so 103 people said no which is the correct answer 48 said yes um which honestly i i'd heard both things before so before we interviewed dr jenny lung i'd heard both sides i'd heard people say like yeah it whatever like my grandfather's a doctor and he said that it affects you know, your fertility that's why i like i had to take the pill um a while ago for a few reasons and um people told me like oh it's actually damaging to your health don't take the pill like make sure you take care of yourself and and like 
there was so much anxiety around me taking the pill when it actually probably wasn't as big of a deal as it needed to be. Um, but one of the major concerns for people was this affects your future fertility. Um, so yeah, it's good to know that that's not true anymore. And um, a lot of, I think, I think the reason why it's not true is because there has actually been progress in the medical field and they've actually found that a lot of the previous studies, which indicated that, you know, it could affect future fertility were disproven because they had flaws in the studies. Um, so Yes, I, I guess that's just a good thing to know that, you know, if you are taking the contraceptive pill or any sort of any form of um, contraception, uh, it, it's not shown to affect your future fertility. Yeah. It like, it, yeah, like as Jenny said, like it should not be kind of a thing that is affecting it. I mean, yeah, like that's like that was a concern, I guess, when I heard about like contraception, I was like, oh, my God, like your period halts and like if your period stops that must mean something is wrong like or like you can't go so long without having a period like that is mm. bad and I think Jenny kind of like demystified that idea kind of saying you know hey um it's actually kind of a cultural thing you know this like mm. notion that um bleeding every month is like I mean, of course, it's a sign of health if you're not pregnant and and you're not on a pill, like then and you're not bleeding. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. But in mm. terms of like it being an indicator of health when you are taking something that's affecting your um, flow, then mm. it is really like a problem. It's not like something is wrong or like in my head, I was like, oh my god, if you like miss this many, like you're gonna get like it <laughs> in tenfold when you when you like get off. The the, the blood's just been stored and it's just gonna, which is not the case, which is not the case. See, these yeah. are all, like, I, beliefs that I genuinely held and carried and, um, yeah. Yeah, it's good to know that, I mean, yeah, Dr. Jenny sort of cleared that up for us. Um, we did have a comment of someone saying that we're doing great and they're proud of us, so thank you. <laughs> um, we just, sorry, just going on a side note though, um, it does take a lot of effort and time to, to make these podcasts and also, you know, to prepare for these lives as well and actually do the lives. So we really appreciate the positive feedback. Um, thank you to everyone. And yeah, thank you to the person who commented that. Say that again, sorry. It just, it makes us feel amazing. It just makes us feel like so good. Um, yeah, but keep it up. Yeah. Keep complimenting us. Um, but yeah, so what was the other question? You said there were two which which kind of shocked you. Well, not sure. I think a lot, I think the one that was like tied, and you could probably give the stats for this, was the vasectomies question. A lot of people were like split about it being always reversible. Um, mm -hmm. And I was, I think some people might have very much as well just like worked around it because they know that the generalization of the word always usually isn't the case. There's always exceptions to the norm or exceptions mm -hmm. to whatever. Um, but yeah, so vasectomies are, I guess, I was under the impression that they were so reversible like that, like you know, I, I went into the question, like, with Jenny being like, yo, why is this not birth control? Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, why are we encouraging men to get vasectomies? Like, this is, we have to insert hormones as women. Like, this is so fair, unfair. Like, this doesn't affect anything for the guy, a vasectomy. Like, they still have, like, a good time. Um, mm. And there's, you know, like, good, <laughs> good success rate with not having pregnancy and things like that. So I was like, why not but uh, like um i guess jenny was like hey um it's actually kind of a bit harder um mm -hmm. to also reverse it and 
and so so in terms of accessibility like for young men to try and use it as like a birth control measure it's unlikely that doctors are going to be very keen to do that because mm-hmm. they kind of consider it to be a decision that's pretty permanent or a decision that you know typically means that you don't want to have children it's not really like vasectomies aren't necessarily something that you go into being like i'm going to reverse this in the future you know i think yeah. it's something like just for the rest of my life so that's why it can't really be used as a birth control and i think it's just to do with the rejoining of the tubes that can be a little yeah. bit of a different procedure but do you have more to yeah. add on that yeah i mean i'll just say the stats so the question was uh well the statement was vasectomies are always reversible and you have to choose that a true and false so 81 people chose false and 58 chose true so that one i mean that's almost 60 to 80 which is yeah um yeah. but yeah i think i i was i I think I I had heard that some vasectomies are not reversible and it's only because I'd heard of like a man who wanted to get it reversed and couldn't and I think but that was like the one case you had heard of otherwise I was under the impression too that just get a vasectomy like you can get it reversed if you want um and yeah so so I think Jenny's insight into that was really helpful as well to know that you know these um she said that it was actually a uh, a uh, what did she say I can't remember the word she used but she's like it's a mi- micro operation or something oh, like that. Yeah, it's a micro procedure or something. Yeah, and so she's like Yeah, and so she described it and she said that they actually cut out a part of the tube so then to rejoin the two halves that are left is is really hard. And when she said that I was like, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." And I think also afterwards I was just um I mean, not researching, I was googling this. Um and a lot of other websites did say that um if like the longer you wait after vasectomy the harder it is to join um so if you get one and then like i don't know a year later you just said oh i actually want to reverse it it could be done but yeah the 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 question we asked was they're always reversible and the answer was false um they're not always reversible um yeah. so yeah that, and one thing which i sort of wish i had asked jenny and i completely forgot to um is about getting your tubes tied for women as well um mm-hmm. because i don't know for those who may not no already if i have been obvious enough i don't want kids right but i'm i'm 24 years old and i've decided i don't want kids and i haven't wanted kids for at least the past 6ish years um and before that i thought i had to have kids like i didn't even consider the possibility of not having kids um yeah. anyway and and people keep on saying that you'll change your mind when i say i don't want kids like oh you'll change your mind honey you're too young you were you don't know like wait till you know you're a bit older and now that i'm a bit older i'm like in my mid 20s i'm like I still don't want kids. Um yeah. but when I think about getting my tubes tied, I'm in my mind I'm like maybe I won't just in, just in case I do change my mind. Um but but yeah, I have also heard about young women who go um to you know to seek this procedure out to get their tubes tied and they're often denied and they're often turned away for the same reason that Jenny said that men are denied vasectomies because doctors are hesitant to um to complete a procedure which is so permanent and you can't go back. Um So yeah that I was just interesting to to hear about from like um you know thinking about a man's body and like having vasectomies that was really interesting to hear from her and I really wish I did I I did ask about having a tubes tied because I want to seek out more more knowledge in that area as well Yeah what was um I think there was also another one which uh a question that was also not I don't know okay. it was, but I I I guess I was a bit like oh I I I guess was surprised that it was still a pervasive idea which was um 
the blood. So women bleed when they first have sex. Always. Oh my god. Oh, like women, yeah. yeah. Or every woman bleeds when they first have sex. That was the um, question. So it was true or false. And not, I mean, obviously it was increasingly, I think from what I remember, like the, the bias was to false, which is correct. Mm. That was the answer. But people did think that it was true. And um, yeah, I was like, I guess, I don't know. I was curious what your thoughts, what, why that might be the case and, and why we can kind of like myth bust that in a way. Yeah. So when I first uh, read people's answers to this, immediately my mind, because also because all I think about is like, <laughs> I look at everything in like a very critical way. Um, um, I was like, oh my God, this reeks of sexism. Like they think women bleed. If, pe- if women don't bleed, then it's a problem. And like, you know, and, and uh, actually there was a story which Jenny says in the podcast, which I think we'll talk about a bit later, but it was really concerning about a, a young couple who went to the ER, the emergency room at the hospital on their wedding night because the bride didn't bleed. I was like, that is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, but that, so when people like, that was my first instinct to sort of be like, oh my God, like people expect all women to bleed and they want virgins. Um, but then I sort of took a step back and I was like, just because the answer true doesn't mean that they want a virgin. It just means that they don't know the answer to the question. Oh. Um, and yeah, also, uh, <laughs> so I forced my brother to take the quiz. Um, and he actually, he like sat there with this question. He was holding the thing and he's like, I need to think about this because he's like, I'm pretty sure all women bleed. I'm pretty sure like I've seen everywhere that women bleed. You know, it's a thing. Everyone bleeds. And then he's like, but does every woman bleed? He's like, mm, I'm going to click no, because maybe it's just like exception to the rule. And so that's why he clicked false, which was the correct answer. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a lack of knowledge. People don't know that, um, yeah, women don't always. And I think Jenny explained this in the in the interview, but she sort of went through like um, the hymen and how, you know, sometimes it breaks and that's what causes us to bleed um but not everyone has a full hymen some people might have a perforated hymen or not have one at all and even if you do have a hymen it breaks so easily you could break while like riding a bicycle or by i don't know i think um my brother was saying that like martial arts is apparently one of the things which you know that if you do martial arts uh it's gonna tear your hymen so things like that where (laughs) um but yeah apparently that's something some knowledge which he imparted on me. But yeah, he said that things like that are uh, are known to to make women bleed. And if they go through that, then they're not going to bleed on the first night. Um, so not every woman does bleed, which is interesting. But what, what did you think about that question? Sorry, I've talked about No, no, no. I was thinking, um, and I think Jenny also made a comment, because I saw a TikTok recently. I love getting info from TikToks. So don't get your education from there. I think <laughs> started us with knowledge to say, make sure that your information is coming from reliable sources. So TikTok isn't the safest anyway what i was saying though was um i saw a tiktok though <laughs> despite that disclaimer um that said um you could also bleed like after having like particularly rough sex and things like that because and that could be on your 50th time and jenny said that like you could bleed on your 50th time having sex like it's not necessarily um the first time and things like that because it could just be trauma to the skin around and there's a lot of like blood vessels near and things like that but also, I think, and Jenny gave a really, like, interesting, uh, I guess, analogy to the hymen, is, is that it's like a scrunchie, you know, and it kind of stretches, and, like, that stretch can be, you know, some people have kind of, like, more stretchy ones, and some people don't, and, like, 
that's just the way human and and that's just the way bodies are and everyone's the same way everyone's face is different everyone's down there is different um yeah. so yeah it's just like it, it's different you know like it stretches you know what i mean and like sometimes that might mean blood sometimes that might not mean blood it and it's mm. not something that we should necessarily have ingrained as an expectation and i think that there is yeah. an expectation amongst young women or at least girls growing up that like oh my god sex first time sex is so painful like everyone just like we've like accepted that as a norm of being like first time of having sex is like the worst for the girl like so bad and it's just like what well, do i want to go through with that then like why would i want to have that then if that's like mm -hmm. the precedent set for me you know but it's like no like there are ways to make it less painful you know lubrication and things like that there's you know making sure that each other want it that you know they both feel safe with each other and safe to do what you know like all those things play a really contributing role into that and and yeah again like you said your hymen can break from literally anything not anything mm -hmm. just imagine you're just like chilling you're like broken it's gone um <laughs> it's like but it can it can happen like yeah just and like that's like i don't know uh, i we talked about this last week but like there's like that notion of like oh my god like your tampon will break this and things like that you know so i mean your mm. tampon might not as well it might be mm. fine so it's just um it's just like this really like uh, i think tr traditional idea and i think because so much value has been placed on it in the past because people just associated that with virginity um mm. like then it just it became like a pervasive idea that is still like lingering within our society now so i yeah. think my people said true you know yeah, I think one of the things which Jenny said in the episode, which when she said it, I didn't think much of it. But then hearing back, I was like, oh, she said, uh, what's the point of an unbroken hymen? And when she said, I was like, well, yeah, but what's the point of a broken? I was like, there's no point of a hymen. <laughs> yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, yeah, I understand what she means. And the whole point is like, why would you stop yourself from doing activities to keep your hymen intact uh, to yeah. wait for that first night? Like that's just do whatever you want if it breaks it breaks if it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't matter like there is no point to to saving like your hymen for your first night it's just not gonna people like hype it up to be such a massive thing and it's not a big deal at all i know and it's like and suppose like that's the thing suppose you did everything you know you went through life avoiding riding horses you went through life avoiding riding those bicycle bicycles bicycles um you avoided putting tampons and you did it you did everything that could supposedly break your hymen and then you had your first night and you didn't bleed that can very much just happen and mm. what does that make you, you know like the fact that we like have really deeply associated virginity to bleeding is like really weird to me and like mm. I, yeah she said, like do you want or need your hymen to be broken or not like it really doesn't make any difference outside of like whether your partner and and society perpetuates this notion you know that it matters you know if, mm -hmm. if personally your life is really unaffected regardless it's just that society is trying to tell you that it is important yeah yeah for sure that sort of reminds me of another question we had which uh was what causes uncomfy sex in hetero couples and this is another one where i think people were a bit divided but most people got the answer that we intended to be right which is not enough lubrication um the other options we had is 
I think that's too big. <laughs> Bad lighting in the room and it's the first time. So 16 people said if it's the first time three people said a dick that's too big one person said uh bad lighting in the room and 113 said not enough lubrication um so i think maybe this one needs a little bit of clarification from our end um because i think as as you pointed out then v um i think it was, or maybe someone else pointed out all of those answers could technically be true <laughs> because you could be uncomfortable because of a variety of reasons um but i think what we intended with that question was what makes um, sex, uh, like, if, if you're doing it right, why would it still be uncomfortable? Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that would be not enough lubrication. Um, people who did say, you know, if it's your first time, um, I think there is a bit of, like, again, I think, Danvi, you mentioned this before, where there's a lot of anxiety around our first time. We're scared, we're anxious, and therefore we're not relaxed, and therefore we don't naturally produce that lubrication which is otherwise needed um and so then that like it's the last bit it's the fact that we don't have enough lubrication which makes it a bad experience um if we weren't that anxious and if if you know if everything was relaxed and if we did have enough lubrication then um yeah then sex is not meant to hurt it's not meant to be painful so yeah and like yeah it does make sense in this um in the idea of like the hymen, if it is a stretchy thing and it hasn't usually stretched to accommodate something, you know, like a penis, you know, it, it would be a bit of a stretch and it could be a little bit uncomfortable. I, and I think maybe the word is like more like painful and things like that, like because mm -hmm. sex isn't meant to be painful. And usually if it mm -hmm. is, it, it is a case of a lack of lubrication, lubrication and mm -hmm. um, things like that. So it's important to just like... Um, realize that plays a role like if a, a dick is, if a dick is too big like it usually it's also it'll fit it'll fit because we as a baby will come out of there i think we made that analogy but i was like also a baby coming out of there is also very very uncomfortable so it's not like it's a joyful experience um i don't know some might disagree but it, i mean it is it is not <laughs> fine but like we can accommodate something like that mm. substantially large i'm sorry no matter how big you want to say <laughs> is it ain't as big as a baby okay but mm. when it goes in like lubrication makes such a difference and it can actually make it so much more of a easy um process and that's the thing i think sometimes people might have concern about oh no because i like shame or stigma to using lubricant because they'll be like oh, aren't you, like, aroused enough? Like, aren't you just, like, aroused mm. enough? It's like, girl, like, there's only so much that girl can produce. Like, you know, like, it's not mm. a matter. It's not even, like, a. it's not meant to be an insult or this or that, you know, that uh, to the guy being like, oh, my God, you didn't turn me on enough or whatever. Mm. It's meant, you know, just, like, a, a, an addition, su additional support so it actually is, like, a very enjoyable experience instead of a painful, mm. comfortable one. But I think, yeah, also, I think there's a distinction between feeling odd and it being like a weird experience as opposed to it being uncomfortable and painful. Um, I think a lot of first times will be odd because we're not used to that feeling. And especially for uh, women or for people who haven't, who don't have this knowledge and haven't like, whatever, like, even we were talking about um, how sex ed should include masturbation. So people who haven't like explored themselves enough to know what brings them pleasure if you go from like zero to a hundred, you're going to be like, what? This feels so awkward. And it feels very odd. Um, 
And I think that feeling of oddness is relatively common and normal, but it shouldn't be painful. And I think that's the point we were trying to make with that um, uh, question that, you know, what what causes, like what is the actual cause for that um, uh, intercourse to be uncomfy or to be painful? And the, the answer is, um, yeah, normal fabrication. Because, yeah, even, even if you think your dick is too big, uh, if you have enough lubrication, that shouldn't be a problem. So, mm. yeah, it, it's a lack of lubrication which causes that. Bad lighting in the room. I don't know. <laughs> I literally just wrote something because I was like, I don't know what else. Like, I had so many, like, ideas for that, like, third slot. And I didn't know, like, I couldn't think of one. So I was like, let's just put something that I thought would be like, no way. You know, we love a multiple choice, but you know, one answer is just not the answer. Mm-hmm. So I was, I thought, but like bad lighting could make it hard, but I think it could, it shouldn't be like painful, you know? Yeah. I, I was, my mind went on like all sorts of tangents. I'm like, if there's bad lighting, you might not be able to tell the holes apart. Well, like... <laughs> But I'm like, if if you know your female anatomy, you should know which hole is which. So you shouldn't be near the back entrance anyway. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, communication is also key. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, one of the other questions which I sort of thought was, um, again, again, my mind switched to, oh my God, this is misogynistic. And then I had to take a step back was... Um, having lots of sex changes the shape of the vagina. And this one was actually not as um, uh, whatever, divisive as, as the true and full. Oh, which, which was the other one? We just talked about it. The vasectomy um, one? Oh, no, no, no. The, the everyone bleeds on their first night. Oh, that okay. one was like 130 versus 14. Um, but this one was, um, or whatever, what, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, like it was, pe- most people still got it right, but there were like a significant number who still said true. So they mm-hmm. thought that a woman's, um, or like a, a, a vagina shape changes if they have a lot of sex. Um, and again, I think this is just misinformation. I think it's just people genuinely don't know. And that's okay as well. As you said at the start, it's okay not to know. And I actually believe this once upon a time, which um, in hindsight, I was like, oh, Divya. But um, no, but yeah, I, I thought that, I like, I genuinely believed in, in the slut shaming comments, which I read online. And I believe, like, Oh, I've seen some terrible, terrible memes which people make about, about you know, refer- like making analogies, um, um, comparing like a, a woman who's like whatever only had one partner or like never has sex versus a woman who has multiple partners, um, and those analogies are incredibly distasteful. They're very, very misogynistic. Um, but the thing is, now I can acknowledge that it's misogynistic. Once upon a time, I accepted it as fact. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the reason why so many like thousands of people have liked this post is because it must be true yeah like just the also because i used to think that and i think that was like also perpetuated within my family and things like that where like family members would be like oh my god like your vagina will loosen like it'll just become loose and like you know what i mean like it won't be pleasurable and of course it's so much focused on how pleasurable it is for the guy in that experience you know what i mean like Mm -hmm as you know like ugh. anyway so that's the thing it's like oh my god like you'll loosen and the guy won't enjoy it anymore and it's like this gaping hole as if that's how mm. things were but and like i think what made me like recognize that like it was so slut shamey because it was like it 
is only applicable when a woman has had multiple partners versus a woman who has done sex lots of times with the same partner. No, her vagina isn't loosening. Her vagina's fine. You know, <laughs> I'm like, make it make sense. You know? Yeah, what I mean? exactly. Exactly. Um, don't equal like this. Like, <laughs> exactly. I think also um, going back, this sort of relates to both questions. So this question and the question about uncomfy sex. Um, so Jenny, very briefly in one sentence mentioned this condition called vaginismus, um, which is actually a medical condition where a woman is unable to relax down. So the muscles don't relax down there. Also, it's not like we have control over it, but anyway, point is the muscles don't relax down there. So they're tight. They're incredibly tight. And if a woman is really tight, it's actually a bad experience for her. She doesn't enjoy it. It's painful. It causes uncomfy sex. Um, so that's actually, it's a really bad thing if, um, yeah, if, if sex is uncomfortable or if a, a vagina is too tight, it, it could actually mean that something's not right in terms of your health or in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the medical side of it. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, basically, and also I, I, I think what also sort of, um, as I learned more about sex and how the body works, um, I stopped believing this, um, is I also learned that when a woman is relaxed and when a woman is actually enjoying it, when it's pleasurable for her, the muscles of the vagina will actually loosen themselves. And if like loosen as not to the point where it's a gaping hole, cause that's just false. That doesn't happen. Um, but it'll, it'll loosen enough so that like it's enjoyable for her and it's not actually tight or painful for her. So anyway, yeah, if, if, yeah, anyway, I don't even know what the com like the appropriate comment is to say here, but the point is that a woman shouldn't be tight to the point where it's uncomfortable for her. That is just weird, and like that shouldn't happen. That's that's a weird thing to expect, I should say, and that shouldn't yeah. happen. It's like weird. Like I mean, as in like it can be very uncomfortable for a woman, and like she might if you have vaginismus, like definitely you know there's also ways to kind of help and and cure that and things like that mm -hmm. and that's a journey i don't know I've, I've i learned from the actual show sex education about about it and i, I didn't even realize that it was a kind of a, a thing that some women faced and and mm -hmm. yeah and like it, and i think some women can might you know go a little bit of a while without really knowing that um that it is because they might just think oh it's just like painful and it's just meant to be painful mm -hmm. for me you know what I mean? And, and like, that's good. It's like, he seems to be enjoying it. So that must be, I'm doing something right, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's also think about yourself through that process, you know? Yeah. It kind of makes me wonder if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The fact that we've been taught to be really anxious and scared about our first time means that we're less likely to relax, which means that we're naturally tired, which means that it's, and there's not enough lubrication, which means that it's actually going to lead to uncomfy and painful sex. So I wonder if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if we had the proper sex education, if we knew that the experience was meant to be a pleasurable one and it wasn't meant to be painful and we're meant to enjoy it, maybe we'd be less anxious, maybe we'd be more relaxed and maybe that'd actually lead to a better experience. Yes, I definitely agree with all that. And I, yeah, I, I mean, that is also kind of concerning whether like, but it's very possible that that is the kind of self-fulfilling cycle that we're in, you know? Like, because, mm. Dude, expectations really, really affect how you, you know, go about your life. You know, you have this kind of expectation is going to be like this. It's going to affect your emotions and then your body. And then it just, yeah. and then your expectations will be kind of met because you're like, oh yeah, it was a really painful experience. And every time mm -hmm. it's going to be painful.
you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. Um, yeah, so, okay, so the last question we had was, unless I missed one, but it doesn't matter. Last question we had was um, that vagina cleaning product, wow, vagina cleaning products are needed to keep the cat clean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, the answers were 106 false, which is correct, and 26, which is true. And this, I think, is really important for us to understand because... Um, Sorry, I'm just reminded. So again, my brother was taking this quiz and he thought about this question. He held it and he's like, and I accidentally, I was like, Akash, just answer the question. And he's like, but how do I answer it? And I was like, just do it. Um, and so I accidentally let it flip. I'm like, it's, it's the same for men. And he's like, oh, it is. And then he clicked false. Because, <laughs> and his only reasoning was, I don't use one, so there must not be one. And I'm like, Janet, I gave away the question. I think that there isn't one for men. That there isn't one for men. Sorry, just this is another tangent, but like we have marketed a product that we don't necessarily need. Let's the pink tax again, ladies. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, but I think it's it's so annoying and really um frustrating when you think about products such as Femfresh and Vagisil and like all these products and they're misleading. I honestly need to do more research into this because I don't know how you are allowed to sell a product which is misleading. It says that it's to keep your uh, uh, down there clean. Yeah, but but it it doesn't. It leads to um, it leads to like infections. It leads to so many problems. You could get thrush. You could get like so many no, problems. So using that and i used to think because also and this is i think like the role of like media and things like that as in like i don't know if you've seen like these trends or whatever but it's just like how i keep my coochie clean or whatever the heck and then they like put 500 products like all these fragrances that like, i spray down there don't spray down there guys don't you don't need perfume down there um that cause more things it can actually end up making it smell worse because you could end up getting an infection and things like that it's a very sensitive area and i know obviously clean down there that's not to say like don't clean with water you know what i mean like there's some grime and sweat and things like that like that's what just be like ah i don't clean or whatever no clean yeah. but you don't need to put products there you know like you can clean mm. with water like and and if there is a problem where you feel like, oh, this is like not looking clean, check it out, you know, get it checked up and things like that. So, yeah, it. I think that it's interesting that, yeah, women are definitely marketed. There's the pink tax for you. Um, you know, this kind of uh, products that aren't needed, you know, like, because, yeah, yeah the is self-cleaning and that's because i used to always get confused i was like okay so there's the vagina which is like the opening but then there's the outside bit so don't you have to clean the outside bit you know like i was just a bit like like isn't like any other part of skin on your body like you just meant to clean it um so because i felt like you like why would i not but it's just like recognizing that yeah it is a kind of a self-cleaning area and and to be just gentle with the products and things that you use like don't use mm. fragrant soaps and things like that down there i think it's uh also really sad that a lot of us have had to learn this the hard way because again when a, when a product is is sold to you as something that's beneficial and something which you should have of course you're like of course i want to keep clean of course you know you want to take care of yourself so people buy these products um but yeah i think yeah you were right in saying that the vagina is self-cleaning so it doesn't need any products and um 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. Talking about like what you saw on social media. I also um, saw these things where they're like, oh, this is a douche, which you put up there and it'll smell good. And your male partner will be incredibly pleased. And, and it got me thinking about how misogynistic this whole idea is where a woman has to like, have you heard of the fishy smell? Yep. Yep. Yeah. People complain about it. people are like, oh, he said, he said my down there like smells. Mm. I've heard that multiple times. And when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, like it needs to have a particular smell. I was like, do I smell? I won't know. Like, how do I? And you get obsessed with this idea that you have to smell nice. And it's like, no, you naturally smell the way you smell. You can't, like the more you try and change it, the worse it's going to get. Like your body naturally produces an odor and that is what it's meant to do. And if you try and change that, it's you're, yeah, you, if you should like, you try and like spray perfume down there do not do that you're going to harm your own body um and yeah i found it incredibly oh my god like the alcohol sting on there like ouch you know yeah yeah and like it's really frustrating that these products are actually marketed to us which actually harm us the fact that you know femme fresh are like oh yeah keep keep yourself fresh down there and if you use it you will get an infection and you'll need to seek medical treatment i mean that blows my mind it really does like why are we sold things which are harmful to our body? Why are they marketed to us? Anyway, <laughs> capitalism, sexism, that's what it is. Um, the pink tax. <laughs> but, but yeah, and so that, that, the answer to that question was really um, interesting. I'm actually glad that most people got it right, but also like people who answered true, now you know. <laughs> so yeah. if you are using these products, don't. <laughs> I know, because I think it like, people worry like, oh my God, I don't want to like seem like I'm a, dirty person and things like that you know like by saying like no product shouldn't be used to clean down there but um mm. you're not dirty <laughs> you know what i mean like it cleans and like you can wash yourself with water just don't get these like products and things like that that can really cause more harm to it than good yeah definitely um we've got a comment here which says shouldn't the tga be banning these products um i need to look into that because that's what, that's what I was sort of thinking. I was like, well, if they're misleading products, which are actually harmful to your body, then mm. surely. But also, I mean, we still sell cigarettes. We still sell alcohol. We still sell a lot of things which are proven to be harmful to our body. So it wouldn't surprise me if um, they allowed these products to still yeah. be sold. I think it might be, though, the misrepresentation. I think people know that, at least now with cigarettes, they've been like, hey, this is going to be your throat later. Um, <laughs> So I don't know, maybe they should have a picture of your coochie and be like, <laughs> be like it's rank now after you use this. <laughs> not very no. no, Yeah, uh, that'd be amazing if they did, though, because then no one would buy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but I also wanted to talk, was there anything else about the questions or did you want to get into kind of the stories that we talked about um, in the episode? Yeah, let's get into that. I don't think... Oh, there was one question about pap smears, but I think that was just a, like a knowledge question. I didn't know the answer, and that's concerning because I'm one year away from when I need to get one done. <laughs> oh, I think good. that was just a knowledge question, so the answer is yeah. 25 for those who I know, I just let y'all, I said 23 because I knew it would trick y'all. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted... Which, but I think a lot of people, like, at least were aware that it was like the early 20s, which was, which was good. Um, but yeah. yeah, 25 is when apparently the government will send you a letter in the mail saying, hey, do you want to get your first pap smear? So they yeah. let me get that letter. 
I will. I will. I'll be like, then be you're you're a few years away from it. This is just. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll just read out what the, so 59 people chose the correct answer, which is 25, 40 people chose 23, not that far off, 17 people chose 35, um, and 13 people chose 50. So yeah. You guys don't wait till you're 50. Don't wait till you're 50. Um, yeah. So apparently we've got comments saying that, yeah, they got letters. So also thank you to our government for sending us those letters because otherwise I would not know and I would not go. No, um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we've got a comment which says, I think, also my phone's acting up. I can't really see. Okay. Anyway, it says, I think because they aren't, so this is about why the TG doesn't ban um, uh, those Femme Fresh and like the, those sorts of products. I think because they aren't technically medical products, the regulation is a lot less strict. So yeah, that's good to know. Mm. Um, but yeah, okay, now let's get into the interview with, with Jenny. So there were a few um, um stories which you shared yeah which kind of surprised me and also kind of made me a bit uncomfortable so one was about an indian doctor which she met um a dr promidu i was meant to research how to pronounce that and i didn't um but it was about how he opened up a clinic in india and it was called dr promidu's institute of marital health what did you think of that story benvi i'm curious to see how you sort of felt when she said that I kind of, look, I understood why it was called that in the sense of being like, we need to like fit within the norms of the society and and people will need this help. You know what I mean? So like, like for, instead of like trying to change the perceptions of, you know, like sex before marriage and things like that um, is wrong and stuff. They're like, okay, let's just recognize that a lot of couples who are, um, in their early days of marriage they actually have no sexual education like we need to give them access and just by calling it marital health people will think that i don't know it's just like a little bit more private and things like that but i do see that it kind of does continue to perpetuate this notion but in a way i'm actually glad that such clinic was opened up for um young couples because i can imagine Mm -hmm. that like it must have been really stressful and difficult to just have no access to any knowledge and probably back in like the days where the internet wasn't really around um like where do you go you know like you can't parents you can't ask your parents you know it's important to at least get access. I, it was interesting though. I was like, but so what's their homework? They just like do sex. They just have yeah. sex. But in a way I was like, this is, see, this is my like immature ass coming through. But <laughs> sex homework. Um, but yeah. But the fact, the fact that they've gone their whole lives and they've gotten to the point of marriage without knowing how sex works. And suddenly you're meant to consummate your marriage on the first night, but you don't know how to do that. It's concerning, but also that, that yeah, like, it kind of makes sense. Even, I don't know what the homework is, but if it is to sort of like practice these things by yourself, it, it makes sense. Because if you don't know how to do it and if you feel like odd about it, you can only kind of get rid of that by by trying and by, you know, trying things that work. Um, also, I just Googled it now. And so this institute um, is actually in Kerala, which is South India. The story kind of made me think about um, where in India it was only because I... I know I have friends and family who are in more sort of, I mean, not more, but in the typical metropolitan parts of India, like Mumbai and Delhi, which are known to be 
a bit more progressive than other parts of India. Um, and I know that there, you know, I've, I've um, I follow a few pages which talk about um, women's experience seeking sexual health advice in those cities um, and how, you know, sometimes they've gotten bad experience, but then they've found like a really good gynecologist, something like that. And then there are all these experiences out there, which people share on the internet. Um, but yeah, it did kind of get me thinking. And then I completely agree with you. I think obviously there was a need for this Institute. If there is, you know, if there is demand for this sort of thing where young couples who've just gotten married, don't know how to have sex. Um, but also, yeah, I did think it perpetuated the idea that, or like the stigma around having sex before you're married. Because if you go, I mean, I, I don't even know if you can go to this institute if you're not married, but the fact that it's called Dr. Pomerdu's Institute of Marital Health sort of is concerning for people who have had sex out, like without getting married or not only had sex, but also, you know, we were speaking about how this might not always be a choice. Sometimes things may happen. Um, which is really unfortunate, you know, to whoever it happens to. But when something happens and you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you're vulnerable and someone's violated you, where do you go to seek advice and help? And if the only sort of clinic is a marital health institute, well, what are you going to say to your family? Like, you're obviously not married. Like, anyway, yeah. So I think, I think, of course, it's being culturally sensitive. And of course, in that environment, which is, you know, dominated by this particular culture, it's it's great that this institute does exist. I just really, really hope that there is sort of like a sexual health center which which other people can go to if need if need be. Unmarried yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And, and not kind of associating that only sex can occur when you're married and things like that. And yeah. Um I hope hopefully they also don't turn away people who come for reasons, you know. Um yeah when they weren't married, you know? So, yeah. yeah, hopefully. that. But, I mean, I also am appreciative and of the fact that they were trying to just create something. Like, there was obviously a need for that. And it also kind of shows you, like, how, how, you know, how concerning it is that people of marital age and, and who are in full, you know, full on married, they, they don't really know what they're doing, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's really concerning. Um... But yeah, so another another experience which she shared um, was about masturbation. I thought this was a really interesting point, right? Um, so Dr. Jenny Long came, well, her background is uh, Chinese Catholic, and both of us are Indian Hindus, <laughs> so kind of different. Um, but what she sort of said is from a Judeo-Christian perspective, she thought that male masturbation was heavily stigmatized and was more stigmatized. Um, I actually differ in opinion. I actually, well, maybe it's, again, it's because of the experiences I've had, but I sort of feel like in, in modern Australia today, and even in India, men are sort of always seen to want sex. Like, I, I guess like, you know, men are expected to want sex. So when like the typical man like masturbates, it's considered normal. Like, oh yeah, of course he will. He's, he's a young man, you know, in, in Hindi, there's like Javani. So they're like, oh, he's a Javan Lurka. And of course, you know, he's going to do these things. Um, whereas for women, it's very like, oh no, you're a woman. You shouldn't be doing anything. Like you need to stay pure. You need to stay untouched. Yeah. It's like this idea that you, women don't have desires and yeah. they do. Those desires aren't necessarily needed to be met. You know what I mean? There's like this just kind of expectation that like, they don't have it and and i i also think that that's like it's 
not necessarily good as well to have this notion that men are hypersexualized. I think that that can kind of feed into this notions of somewhat justifying wrongful acts um, on males' behalf by being like, oh, they're just like, they're just really sexual. You know what I mean? As mm. there's no autonomy or, you know, like agency um, and things like that. So it's just like this hypersexualization of men and this kind of like, shaming of sexualization of women can be um can be really harmful to both to both you know and yeah, yeah i think that female masturbation especially i think within like the desi community or you know or at least where i've been i feel like it's more stigmatized um yeah. for women yeah oh, for them, for we women. have it yeah, no, I agree as well. We have a comment saying um, definitely greater stigma towards girls and women and masturbation. So yeah, I think that um, sort of, yeah, it's the same opinion we have as well. Um, and no ownership for men in India. So yeah, men, I guess, aren't really seen as, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Um, but anyway, no, one other thing which the doctor said, which kind of, quite, like I sort of, in my mind, I was like, oh, really? Um, she said from a Judeo-Christian perspective that, the, the reason why there was stigma around male masturbation was because it was seen as like, if you're going to spill your seed, don't spill it on the ground, put it into a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And that sort of made me feel like that's a bit misogynistic. Like, are we all just baby making machines? Like what? Like, I don't know. It just made me that's uncomfortable just, because that's just kind of, I don't know. I don't want to like generalize religions and things like that, but I think that is an aspect of it. You know what I mean? Like, like a lot of people use the name of religion to kind of justify inequality and things like that. Like women are inferior and because yeah, Eve was made out of Adam's like torso or something, you know, so there's like <laughs> kind of perceptions of that and, and they have kind of stuck around and yeah. Yeah. Women aren't baby making machines and men <laughs> coming is not a waste. Like if they, mm -hmm. you, and then again it like it also can kind of perpetuate a very harmful idea that like you know a man must find a woman to do this and doesn't even matter whether she wants it or not because he can't exactly. waste, he can't waste this you know yeah and it's like no but mate like if you gotta if you're horny like you can do it on your own by yourself like what yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think I was just about to say, so it's it's interesting that consent is, uh, well, I mean, I, I can only speak for the religious scriptures, which I have experienced, but it's not mentioned in any religious uh, scriptures. And it's not, you know, like, does a woman want it? Does a woman want to be pregnant? Does she consent to intercourse? Mm, doesn't matter, but the man must not spill his seed. So he must find a woman to impregnate if, if he wants to, yeah, like, or like act on his desires or whatever like no don't do that just masturbate like it's much better for you much better for the women trust me <laughs> yeah just yeah yeah definitely agree about that but yeah no i definitely think though there is a lot of stigma with female masturbation and there like i will just say here yeah, like there shouldn't be there doesn't need to be it's so fun um it's so so okay and like i think we probably growing up had faced kind of stigma or internalized stigma about it and things like that. Mm. And um, 
And I think a lot of girls just don't because they're like, I don't know, like, I don't know whether I'm meant to think I'm meant to do that. Like, you know, I was never taught about it. And that's why I think sometimes we ask Jenny, like, I think that the sex education curriculum should contain education about masturbation, especially for female masturbation as well, because it needs to be normalized because it's so often de- like stigmatized sorry, in in our community and Mm. and it's normal it's normal to have desires you know Uh, and and to want to act on it okay when i say it's normal i know that also people don't necessarily fit into that norm as well so i just want to be aware with that um that's another but it's okay to have desires. that's what i'm trying to say yeah i was just gonna say so like asexuality and um uh being aromantic is i think the term which they use, um, that's just another subset of people, a minority, which we are not a part of, so we don't want to speak about, like, about that. Um, but yeah, I was going to say something about, um, oh, you just said something which like triggered a, oh, I've just lost it now. Was what, it, did you, what did you, uh, you just forgetting what I just said. Uh, it's normal. <laughs> it's okay. Um, sex education curriculum. No, 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 I remember, I remember. What I was going to say was just generally speaking, right? our life expectancy is increasing. We used to only live to like whatever 20s and 30s back in the day. And now we live till like, you know, 70s, 80s because our life expectancy has increased a lot. So has the average age of marriage. Um, And this is a good thing. We're taking more ownership over our own bodies and our own lives. And we're choosing to do, like we're choosing what we want to do with our lives. Um, And, you know, obviously um, women are now able to work so we're in the workforce and we're really taking ownership of our own lives and controlling what happens in our lives which means yeah we're getting married at a later stage so this whole like traditional religious idea of like don't waste your seed find a woman i think that that was well i think that was uh that reference was made in a time when you know, you were married pretty young. And when you were married young, then, I mean, not that it's still, like you should still ask for consent, um, but assuming that you will have a partner, then, you know, you can you can communicate your needs and your wants and work through that. Um, but in this time where people are getting married later, these urges still happen at the same time. These urges don't delay themselves. The urges still start when you're like, I don't know, like 13. So it's like, how, how long are you gonna hold it in? <laughs> Yeah, like contextually, of course it makes sense because women were kind of married off as soon as they went through puberty. They were like, it's time. Um, Mm. The fact that you're like, okay, now that we've let like like the marital age to kind of be, you know, pushed back a bit, but we're like, suppress your urges, guys. Suppress them. Don't do anything with them. It's like, you know, the, the kind of guidelines we're following were in a particular context. And who mm. knows if, if it was made in this context, maybe premarital sex would be acceptable or masturbation would be acceptable. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's important to also consider the context of the information that, um, by which we're following in a present day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so... I want to go back to the story which Jenny shared, which, like, honestly shook me. (laughs) She said it. I was like, and I was left kind of speechless, and I had no comment to add in the episode because I was still processing information, was the couple in the ER. So Jenny shared um, 
uh, an experience, which actually I think a fellow of hers had, she said an old lady doctor, um, where a young couple and the mother-in-law and the father-in-law had come to the ER um, on the day of the wedding night because the young bride hadn't bled. And even the young bride was distressed because she was expecting to bleed. And when she didn't bleed, she's like, what's wrong with me? Um, I think this is this was a point where I think um, it kind of shows how well-trained um, these sexual health experts are in the fact that they're incredibly culturally sensitive and incredibly aware of different expectations which different people have. And it's so important because if this doctor wasn't there, I don't know what that young couple would have gone through, probably something worse than what they ended up going through. Um, so really thankful that, you know, doctors are really culturally sensitive. Um, but at the same time, I hated that story. I really did because it just, it was, it just, oh, imagine getting married and having your mother-in-law and your father-in-law escort you to the hospital to check whether you're a virgin. I just think that there is this obsession with women's virginity, which should not be there. But also the fact that the in-laws were there sort of showed that they have, they feel entitled or they have this sense of ownership over the daughter-in-law's body and her status as a virgin. Um, and that really disturbed me. It really did. I, oh, I, I, I didn't know how to deal with it then. I still don't really know now. Yeah. No, I, when I heard it, I don't know. In a way, it didn't surprise me for some reason, though. I was, like, shocked, of course, in, like, that she also, like, I don't know, had first, not firsthand, but, like, she knew someone who had firsthand experience with that. But in a way, I was like, though this idea and perception of virginity and and bleeding and all this is so prevalent it doesn't surprise me that some in-laws think that and the fact that they were there and they knew and they must have checked the sheets to check if she was bleeding and then they really thought that it was like worth going to the emerge also like why like why would you sorry yeah I I just also felt for, like, the other people that are just, like, there, like, with actual, like, legit, like, oh, I just broke my And then they're just chilling, like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, you think your daughter-in-law might have uh, lied about being a virgin? Sorry, you go ahead. Like, what the? What a waste of time. Um, but, like, it was just, like, very, I could imagine how mortifying it must be to be the a woman in that position of, you know, and she might have had this kind of belief that, like, she was meant to bleed and... And like, mm. it's like a thing of like, how do you convince people who have this really ingrained belief that bleeding is equivalent to virginity and the lack of blood means no virginity? How do you explain to them that you're the exception to that? How do you, you mm. know, and that actually is not really an exception that a lot of people don't as well. How do you yeah. even clarify? And it's, and I appreciated like, so the doctor had to, you know, prick her um and and get some blood to show them and it really showed that there was no convincing there was no letting that family know that it was okay that it was you know that this is an expectation that they should be carrying you know mm -hmm. and and that like her value and all these things like like what would what would they have done if they found out that she wasn't oh she's a liar she's a this she's a that you know it's like it's really really awful and I, I i mean in a way it's good like i think i was telling my mom this story and she was like oh that was that's she's like that's a good doctor <laughs> you know what i mean she was just like <laughs> because she just knew that like it was a really hard situation for probably for that woman to be in you know mm. and 
the fact that the doctor was like considerate of that and was just like okay we got to we got to accommodate and fix this situation and who knows mm-hmm. i mean in in a in a idealistic world you know the doctor going be like shut up guys like you don't understand how virginity works it's actually a social construct and she doesn't it doesn't really matter if she didn't bleed because not all women bleed like he could do and explain all that but like if these beliefs are so embedded within them there's no listening so yeah mm-hmm. and also i think like the fact that they were in the ear and the doctor's probably like bro i've got like bleeding I, patients out there I, <laughs> it's probably like yeah he's like girl i don't know yeah i think it was actually a female doctor um who who talked to the um the young bride but also i've got a comment which is really true it says um someone said it's so interesting that blood from periods is taboo but it's expected and required for losing your virginity mm. really true and really sad <laughs> that we live in this sort of uh society but yeah also also thanvi you mentioned the fact that you know there's so much value attached to someone's status as a virgin like what would they have done if the doctor wasn't culturally sensitive and what if the doctor was like well you know and what if the doctor sat down and tried to give them a lesson on virginity and was like it doesn't exist it yeah. doesn't exist what would the like parents and law have done i really do wonder and it's really frustrating to think about how how much value they assign to like their daughter-in-law's status as a virgin like and yeah the fact that like on one hand sex is seen as such a private thing which you're not meant to talk about on the other hand your parents in law are privy to whether or not you're a virgin i it's too much it's too much it's like kind of gross as well like why do you want to look at that why i i literally oh my god if i mm. be out i just be out no thank you you know what i mean that's coming from a real place of privilege but um yeah it's like i can't imagine being in that situation um no, where I, yeah yeah i agree also i think this is why um sex ed is so important because with the knowledge that we now have we can choose to say no if someone cuz the thing is we both said that once upon a time we believed in these things if if, if we didn't get the knowledge to like sort of like rewind and sort of be like mm, that's not true if we still believe those things now then we wouldn't find it awkward or odd when someone asked us whether we were virgin and if that was a requirement for marriage i don't think we would have asked that so the fact that this knowledge sort of empowers and liberates women it it it's knowledge which should is really needed actually um but did you have any oh sorry i've got another comment i would fear the in-laws would avoid seeking help in future because their beliefs were questioned exactly um so yeah so you need doctors who as frustrating as it is and as much as i was like sit that family down give them a lesson on sexism um it's not it's not appropriate and yeah i think it is actually good that the doctors were culturally sensitive um because it showed that the family can seek help later on if they need to um and the thing is if they didn't know about the bleeding stuff and like virginity chances are they probably don't know much about pregnancy and complications which arise from that either so they might need help in the future they might need to seek help in the future and they should be able to comfortably seek that knowledge and that help um but yeah did you have any other sort of interesting questions that arose from the discussion i don't i i don't think so i think i it was not and i wish we could have kind of fleshed it out a bit more but like just talking about how i guess the porn industry like is really um influential in in the way that um sex is kind of educated to to young people and things like that and um 
I don't know, just like I, it was interesting that Jenny made that point, like how the porn industry kind of coincides with a lot of these like beauty standards for how a woman should groom down there and things like mm. that. Like, yeah, I think that that was just like an interesting point. But otherwise, I I found it a, I found that we kind of addressed um, most of Jenny's stories, which were actually really interesting, and it was kind of cool to hear um, a doctor's kind of experience with all of this. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing which, again, it kind of got me thinking about then um, is, again, this um, relates to parents and how there's always this hush-hush attitude around sex ed and dating and all these things, um, generally speaking. Um, sadly, we live in a world where whether or not you have intercourse is not always within your control or your, your hand bad things happen to good people. Um, bad things happen to everyone. Um, yeah. But anyway, so so when I think from a parent's perspective, when I think about young girls and young boys, I'm like, whether you want to or not, your child is going to learn about sex. They are. Whether it's through school, whether it's through friends, whether it's through a traumatic experience, mm -hmm. they're going to be faced with it before you want them to. So the question is, wouldn't you rather your young girl be taught about this within, uh, well, about their own bodies, I guess, um, and functions and reactions to certain things within a safe and healthy environment? And if you, if you have a gender diverse person or, you know, a boy, um, wouldn't you rather teach your young, young boy about uh, safe and healthy relationships and also about, um, wouldn't you rather show them like a healthy and non-violent version of sex? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the hyper violent and like hyper I don't know you used a word which I've just forgotten now but wouldn't you rather them learn about a healthy uh, relationship and experience mm -hmm. versus the violent ones which Pornhub will show them yeah I know and it's like it's like giving that information from a young age because this is the thing like there's this kind of uh, trust or uh, that kids will learn the right way eventually you know what I mean they will learn how sex actually works through their experience and things like that or like for us like while we got those kind of uh we were fed some misconceptions about virginity and things like that like there was also like we were lucky enough to kind of have the resources to seek out different kind of knowledge to access it to um kind of be able to you know construct um like critically think about those things but there are people who don't have that experience and who might just have like access to what is one of the most like big platforms of, you know, sex is, is Pornhub. And, and we can't necessarily reliably trust that they're going to get more, more accurate information elsewhere. They're going to go through to their sexual experiences with these kind of pre, um, yeah, these ingrained views about sex. And and why should we also accept that they have to learn learn the hard way? They have to learn through, you know, trying out with a woman and then a woman saying, actually, no, I uh, don't please smack me around or don't please choke me because I don't like it that physical and violent and things like that. Like, why should anyone have to go through that? Why can't we just make it the the set norm that when we when people start accessing sexual information that they access it appropriately and they access stimulus that you know, um, gives a good representation of healthy sex. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think um, 
there like the fact that sex is so related to like health and also safety um means that it's really important to to learn about and your kids your kids will i think yeah the, the point is that your kids will gain that knowledge eventually whether it's from you whether it's from school friends the media mm. dr pomeroy's institute of marital health <laughs> they will mm. learn it somewhere right but wouldn't you rather teach them what you already know through experience and what would you rather save them the pain possibly even humiliation from not knowing mm-hmm. um so these these conversations are really really important to have and i think this shame and stigma around sex needs to disappear for our own good it's literally it's helping ourselves it's not helping anyone else um but yeah no and that just reminds me of another story which uh, dr jenny shared it was about um how she i think she watched a documentary um in which it was about like the actors who act in the porn industry and how they mm. said that as time went on they were asked to do uh more violent acts and acts which were not realistic at all um and eventually a lot of them like stopped doing it because of that mm. um but i wonder how long ago that was but also it just makes me think like why why are we putting unrealistic material out there because this is what like subconsciously you and in, you ingrained into yourself and then you actually made a really good point in the podcast you said that you spoke to a few male friends and that um the understanding was that um you get desensitized to particular mm-hmm. material so then you seek out something that's more extreme and eventually it's like well if you need that like level of extremity to mm-hmm. find your release that's not healthy that's that's it's not going to lead to a healthy sex experience with a partner or with multiple partners um whatever like whatever uh the situation is but it's it's not going to be healthy and it's not going to be enjoyable for you or the people involved um no, agree so much with everything yeah yeah i was just going to say so that i that i think that actually leads us um into next week's episode mm-hmm. um maybe we should just sort of put a disclaimer out there so next week's episode is actually about sexual assault and harassment Um we understand that this may not be a comfortable topic for a lot of people. Um we do have a content warning at the start of our podcast and we will also have that at the start of our live next week as well. Mm-hmm. Um whether you want to listen to it is obviously your own choice. Um feel free to miss out on it if it's something which which you know is difficult for you to listen to. Um but yeah, that I guess just a heads up to anyone who does want to tune in for next week. Yeah. I guess like just a general idea um is just like the kind of discourse around it um i think we're going to talk about how i guess like cultural influences and how that kind of feeds into victim blaming and things like that so it's just more broadly like the discourse and i guess the me too movement and and things like that so um yeah if that just gives a general idea of kind of the content um because i think people are, we don't want to leave it too much to your imagination about what exactly is going to be spoken about but yeah so just talking about the general conversation about sexual assault and harassment and how it can be a bit problematic and how we can kind of do better and how we kind of became aware about uh, how problematic it is um yeah within society so yeah yeah Um but yeah cool I think that brings us to the end of this live. <laughs> well we went for a while but thank you all for coming. Yes, thank you for tuning in. Um and yeah so our next episode will release next Monday and we'll be back here on Tuesday for our next live. Yes, see you all then. 
And also, make sure to comment your thoughts, please. If you have a diverse experience, you want to hear them. And we want everyone else to kind of be able to hear them as well. So, yeah, please just feel free to make your thoughts public because you are the owner of your life and your life experience. And we don't want to ever, like, kind of filter out the authenticity that you can bring um, by actually just sharing it firsthand. Okay. All right. See you all. <laughs> gotcha. Bye.